Welcome to the Orange Socks Podcast, where we are inspiring life despite a diagnosis. I'm your host, Dr. Gerald Nebaker. I was so honored to learn Erica and Stephen's story about their son, Blaze, who is on the autism spectrum. They are a great example of parents who use their experience with their son to help others. I know you're going to love hearing their story. Erica, when did you find out that you had a child with a developmental disability? I feel right around 18 months. I kind of realized that he was different. Okay. What were you seeing? Um, he went to daycare. Okay. And uh, we would go in and notice that all the kids are playing in one area and he's over to an area by himself. He always did individual play. What the tell sign for me was when, like any mom, when you drop your kid off, I would drop him off at daycare and he would cry because he, you know, like most kids, uh -huh. but he wouldn't cry for me. He wouldn't cry, mama, mama. He would just cry. Uh, and you see the other kids crying, mom, mom, with intention. Uh -huh. And that's that was a big sign for me that he never, he didn't cry, mama. He just would cry that he didn't want to be there. And then after he would settle in and we come back to pick him up and we see all the kids playing together, he was always by himself and the other kids would always be playing together. Okay. Stephen said he noticed that Blaze was missing some milestones with speech or get fixated on an iPad or something. He'd also make these, these really peculiar noises, like all day long, he'd make noise, noise, noise. And then so I actually thought of that at first, I was like, you know, Erica, you know, maybe, you know, our son has autism. And she was, you know, my wife was like, no, you know, he doesn't. And, you know, as a dad, you know, I got right on Google and she hated that when I used to get on Google and start getting all these ideas and things like that. Um, but yeah, around then is, is, is when I, I find a, kind of found some, some, some signs and, and then we, we took him into the doctor. The diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder came when they took Blaze to the doctor with their concerns when he was around two and a half. Right around 18 months, they don't want to diagnose your kid. Yeah. It, it's too young mm -hmm. to diagnose. Once we realized he was different, we immediately put him in individual care. Nice young lady um, did one-on-one -on -one preschool with him and to help him out. And then she kind of said, well, these are some resources that you should look into. And then that's when we got in contact with a nice company that got us going. And then as time progressed, he went into developmental preschool. And then we felt like at that point there should be more. So then we found another company and they did a formal diagnosis at about two and a half, about two and a half, three years old and then we were able to get the formal diagnosis. At that point, we had kind of accepted that he was different. My biggest fear was I didn't want to get a diagnosis, even though we believed he had autism, because I didn't want, in my mind, I didn't want them to stick him in a box. Once they label him, I felt like once he was labeled, then that's all the care he was gonna get. He was only gonna get autism care and autism teachers, and it's a bigger world than that, and I wanted him to have all the exposure that he could have. We had already come to grips that he was different, he had autism, he was delayed, and we were okay with that. That was our baby. We were okay with that. I just wasn't okay with feeling like they were gonna put him in a box and then that was all he was gonna get. They were just happy that early intervention services were available. As we all know, early intervention is the most important thing you can do for a child, Stephen says. Even before the diagnosis, they were working with him on speech and playing learning games with him. Blaze has always been Blaze, and, and, and we've always um, accepted him and loved him for who he is. So even before we got the diagnosis, you know, we were always 
you know, on him about, you know, speech and, and playing learning games with him. And mm -hmm. so that, that led him to be, you know, pretty, pretty good academically. But um, yeah, it, it was probably more of a relief. Um, you know, some sometimes I I uh, had late nights where I, you know, I thought about, you know, would he ever drive a car or, you know, get married or, you know, do normal things like that. But we all as fathers and parents hope, you know, for their child. You know, so I, I had those concerns, but, you know, I just try to just leave it in God's hands and, you know, love him for who he is and, and, and what he does. And the milestones that he's been able to reach have just been amazing. It's, it's been a blessing to us. And um, each year, you know, it just gets better and better and, and he, he shines and opens up more and more. So I believe there's a lot in store for him and for a lot of parents out there with kids with autism. You know, don't give up. Once you get that diagnosis, it's not a death sentence. You know, just just focus on, you know, the early intervention, the focus on the things that you can control, and then eventually things things turn out okay. Yeah. Erica mentioned that she is a helicopter mom, preventing his diagnosis from putting him in a box. Once we went through a program, an early intervention program through preschool, once we moved out of that, they help you decide what the next step is. So we decide, they said, put them in public school. We had interviewed, you know, autism class schools and things like that. And they said, put them in public school. If it doesn't work, then pull out. So we were like, okay. So we put them in public school. And the next week I went and got a job at the public school. <laughs> <laughs> so how, like some of the things I would prevent is because he was in an inclusive classroom. And then like a lot of our kids have sensory issues. Mm -hmm. So like the box that I'm talking about is because he has autism and because he has sensory issues, the minute he does this, they put headphones on him because that's what he needs. So I would go in like we'd have assemblies, I go in the assemblies and I take the headphones off. In my mind, if I noticed that he couldn't handle it or deal with it, then I would allow him to have the headphones, but let's try it and see. Let's see if he can push through it. Don't just give it to him because he has autism and he has sensory. Let's see how far he can go with this. So he never needed headphones. But if I would have allowed him that crutch, thank God I was at the school, you know? If I would have allowed him that crutch, he would have been stuck in that box that this is what he needs. And for us, in our case with our son, I felt like he could push through a lot of things that he would just automatically get because he has autism. So that was my thought process with that. So yeah, so I started working where he was at and kept an eye on him and you know, just push through some of those things and with the sensory and we're not gonna do headphones and, you know, let's still push him out and let's let's just try everything. Don't just keep him yeah. in this room and just this is all he gets. Like, let's see how far he can go with this. Erica helped push him outside of what is normally expected for someone with autism. Stephen said that once people get this diagnosis, they automatically put a glass ceiling on their child and say that, no, he has autism, he can't do this. We wanted to treat him as regular as possible, you know, give him the same experiences as regular ch children. If he falls short in some, in some of his goals, that's fine. We bring him back a little bit, but we let him keep going. We never restrict him and say, you can't do anything because we, we never wanted him to feel different. Erica says that the hardest things are the unknown. You don't know if they're gonna get married. You don't know if they're gonna have friends. You don't know, you know, if something happens to us, who takes care of him? How does he advocate for himself? That is the hardest, is the mental part of it. Another hard part on a more personal note is how other kids perceive him. Mm. That's hard. We go to parks, 
kids run up and talk to him and play with him, and he doesn't respond like they feel like he should respond. He's getting better now. But before, you know, he wouldn't say much, and he wanted to play, just didn't know how to say it or express it. And then here I come, oh, he has autism. Oh, he, you know, he, he's different. And I have to not do that, but that's my way of protecting him to let them know he's different. He wants to play with you. Don't mistreat him. Don't think that he's, you know, something's wrong with him. He's fine. He's just different. So that's been like some of the hard things. And you know, when he was smaller, going to Target is hard. It's hard going to Target. You know, he's in the cart and he's enjoying himself in his own bubble, but he's making like the, the sounds that makes him happy. And <laughs> you know, but then you got people that don't understand and they're looking at you, you know, or if you tell him no, he can't just normal cry. He's on the floor spinning in circles <laughs> and, you know, making loud noises. And then people are looking at you and, you know, you're being restrained because they don't understand. And you just want to say, lady, look, you know, I'm doing the best I can here. Or, you know, my son's a little different or so that that was harder. Some of the hard things, it's more so for me in our situation, the hardest really has been the world and how they perceive my son, how other children perceive my son. We, the hardships inside the house, it's just, it was all we knew, it was our first son. So it was all we knew. It's not like we went from a typical child to an atypical child. This was our, this was my first son, this is all I knew. So his hardships were like normal. This is what we go through, this is what we do. I don't know, we just, we just jumped into it. So we didn't, um, we didn't fight it. You know, we knew he was different. Okay, what can we do to help? What can we do? Let's give him every, let's throw so much stuff at him that, you know, so we, we created a village. So I think that helped a lot with getting through some of the struggles, but outside of the Target trips and the grocery <laughs> store trips and, but if you got a kid that's typical, that's terrible too, you could probably go through the same thing. For Steven, the hard things are similar. The unknowns and how folks may perceive him and his social differences and him being a father and wanting to protect Blaze at all times. We know how the world can be at times. There's people that might want to bully you or take advantage of you. And so just always thinking of that, like what's going to happen when he gets older. So it's just the mental side of things that, you know, you really have to keep a, a strong faith. You know, you really have to have good communication within your family, um, teach Blaze as much as you can, you know? Um, so those were some of the harder things. And, you know, she, my, my wife just explained it perfectly. You know, we both went through it together. So yeah. those were some of the harder things. Steven said that he never felt sorry for Blaze. He had some tough nights thinking, what if? But he wouldn't change Blaze for anything in the world. It's the way God made him. And I'm glad that he is who he is and he's happy. Yeah. Things can be so much worse. You know, there are a lot of parents born with kids that will never speak, that will never say, I love you, and will never walk, talk, and things like that. They're, so when you have a kid with autism, like I say, it's not a it's not a death sentence. Sure. It's it's an opportunity to to help him and, and his 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 triumphs will be even more amplified because of where you guys started from. So yeah. it's it's a really good it's a good thing. When Blaze meets milestones or when he comes out of his shell, it is a lot of joy. I was telling someone this morning, today, yesterday, he he was on his hoverboard. He was a little, he was in the way. <laughs> and he opened the garage door and I came in the garage, but I was like, oh, you know, he's in the way. And I just walked in the door. He opened it. I walked in. He goes, didn't I open the door for you? <laughs> I said, yeah. He was like, well, say thank you, mom. <laughs> you know, those moments, because before he wouldn't even be aware. Right. So when he meets those milestones and, and those things, it's a lot of joy. We have a typical daughter. She's six and everything is as planned. Mm -hmm. And of course we celebrate her moments and you get joy from celebrating those moments. 
But when it comes from Blaze, it's different because he had to work four times harder to do something that comes naturally to someone else. So, you know, those those are the moments that just, you know, they feel good. And just watching him grow and come into himself and have conversation with other kids and things like that, it, it's really good. And just like Erica said, just, you know, the the triumphs that, that, that he has. Like, we spent so many years without with him having, you know, little to no awareness, things like that. And just for, for me, to, I remember the first time he ever walked up to me with no prompts or anything. He just said, you know, Daddy, I love you. And he looked me dead in the eyes. And I was like, wow, you know, so we had, because we had to work on eye contact. We had to work on initiating conversation. Yeah, I mean, those are like amazing special moments. You know, you have a special life and you have a special child. And, uh, you know, you, 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 you'll never forget that. Now that he's nine years old and he's, he talks, talks, chase a chatterbox, you know, and he's he's very smart. He figures out things. And if you asked us where he would, would he be doing this when five years ago, we'd mm -hmm. say no. We'd say no. So, you know, if you got a child with autism, two or three years old, has just got diagnosed, you know, it's going to look bleak in the beginning, but keep working your tail off with him every day, every day. Five years from now, you know, that kid will be totally different. You would never thought you would got this far, so. Erica shares that this is all these kids know. They were born this way, so enjoy it with them. Like they don't realize that something's different. This is this is how they feel. So you you jump in there, you embrace it, and you you know you give them everything that you can. You give them so many resources and so much love and so much support that they're that it's too much. It's overwhelming, and they're gonna strive from that. You know, and, and don't feel sorry for them. They don't feel sorry for themselves. These kids do not feel sorry for themselves. I've been around all kids with just different disabilities, and they do not. I have a little boy. He's my favorite little kid. He has Down syndrome, and he is a stinker. <laughs> He's nonverbal, and uh, he finds his way to communicate with us. He tells us what he wants. He tells us what he needs. He doesn't feel sorry for himself. You know, we're at school trying to get his socks and shoes on because he hates socks and shoes, and he thinks it's hilarious, you know? and. And for those, you know, some parents that might be, man, I just wish my kid would keep his shoes and socks on. Yeah, we all do, you know, but he doesn't care. He's happy, mm -hmm. you know? So just loving these kids where they're at and, you know, what's your journey is your journey. As long as you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, giving them the resources that they need and the love that they need. A lot of things that happen, which I realized is that it comes from just maturity of our kids with special needs. Yeah. Just the older they get, the more they mature, certain things just click. Mm -hmm. And it's nothing that's necessarily taught. It's nothing you can do. It's just, you know, watching them grow. And um, I guess the, the, the best advice I can say is just love them hard. Don't feel sorry for them because they don't feel sorry for themselves. Don't feel sorry for yourself. God blessed you and chose you to be that kid's parent for a reason. Give them everything that you can and just know that like they're going to be fine. Whatever that means, literally, they will be fine. Stephen's last thoughts are to not set boundaries on your child. Don't limit them. Treat them like regular kids. They shouldn't feel that they're different. Blaze, nine years old. We try not to make him feel like he he's, don't know he any he different. don't know he's any different. <laughs> Let them have their own personality, and people will accept them for who they are. You know, not who they're trying to be. You right. know what I mean? So, um, just love them unconditionally, and uh, obviously have patience. Um, it gets better later, I promise. Um, but it's gonna take some work, you know, make sure that you guys are ready for this journey and you give them the assistance and the um, attention they need to thrive when they get older um, because it pays off. Erica says, 
I was watching a video about a young girl. She was nonverbal with special needs and a professor was doing research and put a computer in front of her to see how she would react because she not, was not able to communicate. A professor was, you know, doing research and he put a computer in front of her to see how she would act because she has been not been able to communicate and she was able to type a message to her parents. And at this point, she was probably about 16 or 17, I think, at the age. And they put a laptop in front of her for the first time. She told her parents, I'm in here. I'm here. I hear everything that you say about me. I hear everything that's going on. I'm just trapped in my body, but I'm here. And it, it changed my perspective because I believe that now. Because we have a different case than a lot of other parents. Our kid can talk. He's, you know, I wouldn't, he's mildly functioning. He can be, you know, he's working on being higher functioning. But there's some parents out here whose kids aren't as high functioning and it's harder. But my, my advice would be still, they're there. And you might not realize that they're in there. So be careful with your words and continue to just love on them very, very heavy because they can feel that and they know that and they're in there. And just because they can't tell you they're there or say things, they feel it and they know it and just love on these babies no matter if they're talking to you, if they're not talking to you, if they're 12 years old in a wheelchair, in a diaper, nonverbal, they're there and they can feel you and they're, they can, they're still happy. I was interested in the foundation Stephen and Erica started. Stephen says, after our son got diagnosed with autism, my wife and I went into the schools and started helping the kids with autism and other special needs kids. We realized um, that a lot of the schools lacked a lot of the materials and resources to help those kids the way they needed to be helped. So I wanted to, you know, so a lot of times we would, you know, come out of our own pocket to bring more materials to the classroom and to, to, to help kids learn. And so I wanted to, you know, just create a foundation to extend my reach to more kids and more parents and more families um, that, that, that had a kid with autism or special needs. And so um, what we do is we, we supply resources to kids with autism. Um, we, we respond to requests. Um, those requests may be my son needs a, my son or daughter needs a, a iPad or uh, any other learning resources, or it may just need, they just meet, need advice on what services to, mm -hmm. to, to get for their child. So we just wanted to be an extended family and another resource for families to go to, to um, just, just, just for help and assistance. Steven is a retired NBA player. He also created a basketball academy. Yes, we do have kids in our basketball academy with special needs. Um, we scholarship those kids. I want to help everyone. And so we're, we're a club. We do different things. We have club basketball. Um, we have private training and we do basketball camps. Anything basketball related we do. And we do um, extend, extend our needs to the special needs community. So what we, what we had is Stephen had a basketball camp the past Fathers. summer. The past summer he had a basketball camp and we had a kid that was special needs and they needed him to go somewhere to have an outlet. And even though our basketball camp, that camp isn't centered around special needs, we created a space for him. Yeah. So we allowed him to come and we scholarshiped him in. They didn't necessarily ask, but this is our passion. So we scholarshiped him in to do the program and then we uh, made adjustments. I came that day, uh, the days that he was there to make sure he was comfortable, make sure he's seen that he had support there. If they had a provider, the provider also, of course, could be there and 
you know, be a support system to that kid. And then we have a sensitivity to it. So we made sure that the drills he was doing was for him and he didn't get overwhelmed and he was on a team that was for him. So we made those adjustments so that he could be a part of this program and not feel any different. So that's how we enter the two. But as far as our foundation goes, Stephen, which I'm surprised he left out, one of the important things that he does is he creates a safe space for fathers. Because as we've talked about, fathers sometimes take it a little differently. It's different when I take my kid to the target and he falls out, but when dad takes him, it's, it hits that ego a little bit. So what Stephen wanted to do was create a safe space so he'll have a Fathers United with Autism event once or twice a year. Um, COVID has changed a lot of that. But um, they can come in and we'll do bowling events. And if your kid takes off running down the bowling alley, you're not the only one because two alleys down, that kid's running off, you know, and screaming and this. And we're all there to help. And we can grab each other's kid and we can laugh and we can enjoy those moments and not feel like, oh my gosh, not again. You know, we're all here together. And um, Stephen has created that environment and the dads love it. They went and played basketball on the at the uh, Talking Stick Arena at the time, well, at the basketball arena and um, where the, the sons play. And, you know, they were yeah. the, the boys down there and they're playing on the real court and they're with their dads and, you know, they're doing skills challenge. And if one kid gives up, no one feels bad because four other kids gave up, yeah. <laughs> you know, but it was a safe space and the dads can laugh together and be each other's support group. And Stephen has created that space for dads to get together with their kids. And of course, if if it's a single mom at home and there is no dad, we definitely allow them to come with their child. That's yeah, never sure. an issue. But we did want to create a space for fathers with special needs That's kids. That's awesome. I just want to piggyback off of um, Fathers United for Kids with Autism. Um, it's just It just re- it creates a really inclusive environment for all kids with special needs uh, and autism. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's great. It's a great time for father and child to bond. Um, I believe um, we've all gathered together. I've created friends and relationships from uh, like-minded folks with, with kids with autism. So it's just a, a safe haven for uh, families to come and experience great time and bonding time and create memories uh, with their kid with special needs and autism. That's great. What a wonderful opportunity for me to meet with Erica and Steven. They're a great example to me of parents supporting not only their own child, but other people as well through the foundation and basketball camp they've created. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode. Orange Socks is an initiative of Rise Incorporated, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting and advocating for people with disabilities. Follow Orange Socks on Facebook and Instagram and visit our website, orangesocks.org, for more stories and to find national and local resources to help parents of children with disabilities.